The most important stop of the day is back. It's the Money Stop with Cole and Steven Cusimano coming to you after the Daytona Road Course provided some really great fireworks over this past weekend. And Christopher Bell, driver of the number 20 car for Joe Gibbs Racing, came away with his first career win. And Cole, this was just an unbelievable week of racing at the Daytona Road Course. It certainly provided everything that we thought it would and more. And really, this race is starting to prove to be almost as much of a wild card as the Daytona Oval itself. I think, honestly, you summed it up very well. It was almost, keyword, almost as unpredictable and opportunistic as the Daytona 500 or the Oval. And the reason I say almost is because the one constant, the one thing that you could always rely on with the road course is that Chase Elliott absolutely dominated. As you said, he did not win the race. He led, I believe it was 64% of the laps, class of the field by far, and I just think that in terms of the product we saw on display, the entertainment value, the chaos of it all, I think this will be a reoccurring theme for the remaining six road course events that we see throughout the season. Now, I wanted to get to this later on, but this is honestly a pretty good time to bring it up. Seven road courses this year. We talked about that the first two episodes, how drastic of a difference that is in the schedule this year, but I want to ask you, coming out of the first road course race, and I don't think that the remaining six are going to be as wild as this one, but at least first impressions-wise, coming out of this first one, how do you feel about seven road course races being on the circuit this year? Is that too much? Is that just right? I mean, considering what is to come and going to these other tracks that are not the Daytona road course, what are your expectations moving forward? Well, first off, I do want to say I, I think you're wrong in saying that they're not going to be as wild and unpredictable as this race because, I mean, we're going to Circuit of the Americas, we're going to Road America, you're going back to Sonoma and Watkins Glen, which I haven't been raced at in a year, and on top of that, I, I, I just feel like time and time again, we've seen through the Xfinity Series, the Truck Series, and obviously Cup, that no matter who's racing, what equipment they're in, what package they're in, the stakes are, have never been higher especially now with how many road courses, as you mentioned, are on the circuit, there's going to be an inherent emphasis on performing well at these tracks because, as I mentioned, Chase Elliott is the clear-cut favorite. He will be the clear-cut favorite to win every single road course race. There's no denying that. And like we saw at the Daytona road course, I think that unless some freak accident happens or some late race cautions take, his, take him out of it or he has some bad pit stops, I think that the entire field will be chasing... Chase Elliott, and potentially Martin Truex Jr. But one thing I, I did find kind of bizarre in this race was that Martin Truex Jr. charged his way from the back. I mean, he started 19th. He made it up to the top 10 within, I want to say, 10 laps. But by the time he got to Chase Elliott, I mean, it, it was kind of anticlimactic. We were expecting this big back-and-forth battle of these two road course titans going at it. And it was just kind of, you know, it was lackluster in a way. As far as if I think there's too many or too little road courses on the schedule, I think it's going to be just right. Just because NASCAR, I believe, firmly is an entertainment sport, what we saw on display Sunday was world-class entertainment. I mean, all across the board, because you had that clear-cut dominant car in Chase Elliott, but you also had many performances that stood out to me as just unrelenting. And I think that's going to be, a, like I said, a reoccurring theme throughout the year. Because as we saw, there were many guys who blew past the chicane, had to serve their stop-and-go penalties. 
There were many guys who had spins through the grass or, or curb hop the turtles, and they had to rebound, and they rebounded masterfully. Just to name a few guys before I get into the real details, uh, Kurt Busch, Brad Keselowski, AJ Allmendinger were the three that stood out to me, but I think that this is going to be a tremendous year across the board for NASCAR, for road course racing, and it's just right. I agree. I mean, I have no problem with there being seven road course races. I didn't have a problem to begin with. And if anything, leaving the Daytona road course and just Daytona as a whole, I only feel better about it because like you said, it's an entertainment sport and we're entering a decade where NASCAR is sort of trying to capture some new audiences, some new demographics and just more of the general audience. And I think races like what we saw this past Sunday and even the Sunday before that and what we're going to continue to see at road courses in the remaining six ones that we have this year, it's going to mean good things for the sport. Now, you've mentioned those standout performances, and as we look at the top 10, some of the names don't necessarily stick out, but the performances, like you said, certainly do. I mean, if you were to watch highlights of this race without knowing the final result, where would you have thought Brad Keselowski would have finished? I mean, he blew the chicane, he spun it. I mean, you could. there's a whole CVS receipt worth of things that happened to Brad Keselowski, and he ended up with a top five. I, I was going to say, the only times you saw Brad Keselowski, aside from when he was battling Chase Elliott for the fourth spot, was all bad things. Like you said, he, he blew the chicane, I want to say, at least two times. Kurt Busch sent him spinning through the grass at least once, and... I mean, I, I could not believe he got a top five finish out of that. It was just a unrelenting performance of, of, of grit. And going back to the moment where he was fighting Chase Elliott for this fourth spot, which is kind of where it all fell apart for Chase Elliott, it was really interesting to me seeing this battle because I think the battle between Chase Elliott and Brad Keselowski was the best and most hard fought all day because for, I want to say, maybe three, four turns... They were just going at it side by side. Kozlowski kept driving in there, locking up the tires, and it was just incredible to see. And then, as we noted, Chase Elliott, dominant car. He tried to make a move on Brett Kozlowski. He got mired back after that controversial rain caution. And, I mean, his picker didn't do any favors. He came out fifth of the cars that pitted. But I think it was a product of him being a little bit impatient and just maybe being a little bit too aggressive because he had the car to get past them. I think there was, I want to say, a little more, a little less than 10 laps when this happened. But he tried forcing it to the inside of Kislowski as Hamlin was closing in fast on the 9 car, and he just sent him spinning. And I mean, you talk about a racing deal, this was a classic case of that because there's no one really to blame besides Chase Elliott enforcing the issue. And I know people are going to be outraged, all the Chase Elliott fans being the most popular driver and all, but this was a real racing deal, in my opinion. Yeah, and Cole, it's kind of like what we talked about in our preseason edition of the Money Stop. Uh, how we talked about Chase Elliott the first three, four years of his career, he had trouble closing out those races. He was showing a little bit of impatience and driving with some emotion. And I almost feel like what we saw this past Sunday was... A sequel to that. You know, we really saw him close out those races at the end of last year. You can tell he learned from so many of the experiences not closing out the races in the middle of the year at Charlotte and Darlington and so on. And this past weekend's performance at the end of the race, it just felt like he was rushing it to the point where he didn't really need to because he had the dominant car by far and away, leading almost every lap uh, in the first three quarters of the race. He didn't have to do it. Uh, but, you know, it's a learning experience. I think that Chase is going to come to realize and probably already knows that if he just runs his race and isn't too aggressive, 
I think he's going to start to realize he's going to win a lot of these road course events. I, I do want to jump in real quick again because we failed to mention that Chase Elliott at one point got forced into the grass by Corey LaJoy, and he made a remarkable save. Like, I don't even know how he saved that thing, but he went through the grass. There was a caution because Tyler Reddick blew up, and then they resumed the race, and Chase Elliott does a little bit of retaliation to Corey LaJoy, and this causes another caution, which then, once they restarted, was when he was fighting with Kozlowski for that fourth spot, and he got spun out and ultimately ended his day for the win. I feel like this was a, first off, an irresponsible move, given the car that you had that was capable of winning that race. Also because you're the reigning champion. You shouldn't be fighting with these guys who are in smaller budget equipment, and I guess the same manufacturer nonetheless. I I know it's heat of the moment, these road courses, you're going to get really heated, especially having a car as good as Chase had, but... You're the face of the sport. You shouldn't be giving in that easily to your emotions. And like I said, it's a learning experience for Chase Elliott as the entire 2020 season was. And we saw that end with him winning his first championship as a Cup Series driver. Now, I do want to move on to some of those other standout performances in the top 10. Obviously, AJ Allmendinger had his troubles, ended up 7th. And how about Michael McDowell? Another top 10 finish followed by... Ryan Priest, who finished ninth, and very quietly, a couple of guys in the top 10, Kevin Harvick finished 6th, and Alex Bowman 10th. That is a perfect example of two guys that just ran a clean race. They didn't turn any heads, they didn't have the fastest car at any point, but they stayed out of trouble, they were careful, they were cautious, and they kept their cars clean, and that is a, you know, really looking forward at these next six road course events. You look at the race that Kevin Harvick and Alex Bowman ran, I think that that is something that people need to be taking notes about because it is a long race. When you look at the mileage of it, 253 or the amount of laps, it seems short. But when you look at the race that they ran and and just being very careful the entire time and sort of meticulous and picking their way through the field and peaking when the time was right, that is something that stuck out to me personally. But what was it about the guys I just named that stuck out to you? So I'll do kind of a quick rundown just because there's a a lot of those guys that really stuck out to me. Uh, first off, Kurt Busch in fourth. He was leading the race right as the final stage began, and he spun out from the lead. He came back and somehow finished fourth. I thought that was incredible. Really aggressive driving. As we mentioned before, he kind of sent Kislowski off his off the nose of his car through the grass, but, I mean, it worked. And he's, he's a, a very under-the-radar road course racer True. and just a consistent driver in general. Michael McDowell, first lap of the race, he had a tire go down going into turn one. He was able to rebound and finish eighth, which I thought was incredible. So now he's coming off that Daytona 500 victory, gets another top 10 finish. He's got to be feeling great. Front row motorsports has to be feeling great as well. AJ Allmendinger. AJ Allmendinger had an incredible car. Started, I believe, in the 34th position, worked his way quickly into the top 10. And then at the end of stage two... Going in for pit stops, he was caught speeding, was still able to rebound and finish in the top 10. Alex Bowman quietly got a quality finish. He was running, I want to say, sub-20 all day. But by virtue of strategy and and car staying out, uh, he was able to work his way up into the top 10 and get that quality finish. But, I mean, it was kind of a surprise to see him running back there because he's picked up his road course racing program a lot over the past few years, so... Call it what you will, luck, strategy. It was surprising, but also not at the same time to see Alex Bone in the top 10. And then, of course, Ryan Priest. What can you not say about him? He's one of 
four drivers this season. I know there's only been two races to finish in the top 10, both races. And that's incredible for him, for JTG Darty Racing. And, I mean, he could be poised for a good year. There's a lot of road course races, tracks he's really good at. And as long as luck's on his side, he's had really good runs. It's just a matter of, you know, closing it out and not tearing up any equipment. And Ryan Priest is another guy who, like I mentioned about the race that Kevin Harvick and Alex Bowman ran, he's just a guy who knows how to put together those consistent races. He's never turning heads, he's never running the quickest laps or charging through the field at a breakneck pace from the start of the race, but he just knows how to conserve everything that he has and everything that the car has into what is a whole entire race, and that's why you've seen him finish in the top 10 two races in a row. Now, moving on to the race winner, Christopher Bell. So much to be said about this young driver, and I mentioned in our pilot episode that I could see him being in the championship four. I think that last year was no fluke in that number 95 car for Levine Family Racing, and he comes into this number 20 car and, in an extremely difficult race, comes out, gets the win, and dukes it out with one of, if not the hardest guy to pass in all the sport in Joey Logano, mm -hmm. and... I, I really enjoy the fact that they raced each other clean for the most part. Obviously, Joey was throwing the blocks. There were two laps to go. Yeah. How could you blame him? But you look at the first career win for all these young guns. I'm going to start with Chase Elliott. Had to duke it out at Watkins Glen for his first career win. And then Ryan Blaney had to beat Kyle Busch in the closing laps at Pocono. William Byron, a gutsy win over at Daytona. Cole Custer, an unbelievable win at Kentucky last year for his first. And now Christopher Bell duking it out with Joey Logano, again, one of the hardest guys to pass. It's a recurring trend that we're starting to see. All of these young drivers that are earning their first and second career wins, they're having to work really hard for them. And this is one of those ones that is really going to stick out to me. When we're looking back on Christopher Bell's career in 10, 15 years, however long it might be, we're going to look back on this race and say that that was the one where he really established himself as a force to be reckoned with for years to come. I mean, it's not just the Chase Elliott show for the next 10 years. It's not just Ryan Blaney, William Byron. I mean, Christopher Bell is going to be a force to be reckoned with in this sport for years to come. Absolutely. And I'll be honest, I really did have my doubts on Christopher Bell. I thought he was going to be a, a bubble driver for the playoffs, and, and he'd probably make it in. But I did not think he'd get a win, at least in the regular season. And I think that that last, kind of last lap pass on Logano took a lot of poise and a lot of talent because, as you mentioned, Logano is notoriously one of the most difficult guys to pass and most aggressive guys to pass coming down to the wire. And, I mean, talk about Logano for a second. He got spun out on the last lap of the Daytona 500. He got passed up by Christopher Bell on the last lap of the Daytona road course race. So you know he's feeling pain. He's hungry for a win. And I think not only did that take a lot of talent from Christopher Bell, I think it took a lot of maturity and respect from Joey Logano. I know he threw some blocks on on Bell coming down to the uh, start-finish line, but that's what you got to do in those late-race situations, and I think he handled it very well. That was very mature, and like I said, I thought it took a lot of respect from Logano to Bell. But now, here's what I want to say about Christopher Bell. Uh, looking at how he performed in this race, and I guess analyzing his, his career over at Levine Family Racing, which he kind of had mired in bad luck, I truly believe that Christopher Bell is going to be a Kyle Larson-esque driver. I think Tyler Reddick has that potential as well once once he gets that elusive win. I think these drivers that come from dirt backgrounds really have a feel for these cars specifically and just racing in general. And I think that they're all going to be a force to be reckoned with at some point throughout their careers. And I mean, I, I really do see Christopher Bell 
potentially winning multiple races this season because even looking at Homestead coming up this week, he ran great there. And, and another guy, like I mentioned, those dirt guys, they run very well at this track right against the wall. These high-speed, high-speed mile-and-a-half tracks. Kyle Larson's great there. Tyler Reddick was outstanding there last year as well. So I expect Christopher Bell to be a contender coming to Homestead as well. Now let's move on to our splash and go. And for those of you who are new to the podcast, this is where we're going to touch on some of the trending topics in the sport and some of the headlines. And now there are two things that I want to bring up in this segment. And the first of those is what transpired on Saturday. It was actually pretty similar to what happened on Sunday, except that Ty Gibbs, driver of that number 54 monster car for his grandfather, Joe Gibbs, won in his Xfinity Series debut at one of the most difficult tracks to win at and race at in general in the Daytona road course. I mean, so much to be said about Ty Gibbs and just in general, the way that Toyota is developing these younger drivers in the lower levels of the sport, Harrison Burton, and then the way Christopher Bell came up through the ranks as well. Kind of a loaded question, Cole, but what are your thoughts on, on the way that Ty Gibbs ran this race on Saturday, his future in the sport, and just in total, the way that Toyota is developing these younger drivers? Why are they so good at it? Watching this Xfinity Series race... I, I mentioned to you multiple times, I was like, I can't believe Ty Gibbs is really going to win this thing. And and it's crazy because we saw him rising through the ranks at Phoenix Raceway in person and just on TV and, and whatnot. And it seemed like every single week Ty Gibbs was dominating. He has, I believe, 12 wins between K&N and the Arca Series. And this not only was his Xfinity Series debut, it was his NASCAR National Series debut. And... You can talk about, talk about all you want about how he performs in, in the Orca series and the K&N series, but whether it's Xfinity or Trucks, that is a whole different animal. You're dealing with insane competition, highly motivated drivers, and for him to come out at 18 years old and beat the reigning champion in Austin Cindric, that was just unbelievable. And for those at home who are skeptical, maybe not know much about Ty Gibbs, he is not a Silver Spoon kid. This was no fluke. He is going to be an absolute stud in this sport for a very long time. And I'm really, really excited to see his progression. And talking about Toyota racing development, there's a lot of really interesting guys coming up through the pipeline. And it's it's worth noting that I had my doubts about Joe Gibbs Racing here coming up pretty shortly because you have Denny Hamlin obviously performing at an elite level, but he's getting up there in age. Martin Truex Jr. also getting up there in age, and we had, prior to this season beginning, there were talks of him potentially retiring. And then Kyle Busch, I mean, he's getting there up near his 40s now. So, you have Christopher Bell there, who's going to be there likely his entire career. And now you have guys like Ty Gibbs, who's 18 years old, he's going to be in the sport for a long time. And Harrison Burton. Harrison Burton had a tremendous 2020 season. He's starting off 2021 very hot, I believe, back-to-back top 10s, but... There's a lot to be excited about for Joe Gibbs Racing, and just when you think that it's, you're going to see Hendrick Motorsports or Richard Childress Racing or Team Penske coming to the forefront as these top dogs and kind of Joe Gibbs Racing taking a step back, it's yet it's kind of like just reflect for a second and think that Joe Gibbs Racing will be back at the forefront as that top dominant team in not too long. Yeah, and there's going to be no transitional or rebuilding period. I mean, like you said, once these guys decide to hang it up or change teams or whatever have you, 
these young guns are going to slide right in just as they did. And even to a fault, I mean, Eric Jones is a really talented driver, as we've documented early on in this podcast, and there was no room for him at Joe Gibbs Racing. So we'll see what happens. If I had to make a prediction real quick, I mean, with Denny Hamlin, there's at least been some chatter that within next year, he might expand 2311 racing to two cars. I mean, he could vacate his seat at Joe Gibbs Racing and go race for his own team the same way that Tony Stewart did for his team back in 2011 when he won his final championship racing for his own team. So I could see that happening, but we also did have a hell of a truck race on Friday night. A lot of overtime finishes. I think it was three, and Ben Rhodes coming out with back-to-back wins to open the season. I mean, it's pretty clear to say that he is the favorite to win the championship after two races, correct? I'd say so, and I... Going in, I, as I mentioned in the first episode, I believe, I had a lot of opinions on these young drivers taking hold of that series, and Ben Rhodes was, sure enough, one of those guys, and here he is winning back-to-back races. The first driver to win back-to-back races to open the season since Johnny Sauter in 2013, and the third overall, the other being Mark Martin in 2006, so two of the best drivers in the sport by all accounts, and you think about Ben Rhodes and the trajectory he's on he very well could be in the conversation to advance his way through the ranks of Xfinity and maybe even cup one day and I think that it's very likely that he's in the championship for come Phoenix in November yeah and it's really fun to see the sort of budding rivalry between he and Sheldon Creed the defending champion that's going to be really fun to watch all throughout the year in addition to all the other fun names in the truck series I mean so far through two races This is as invested that I've personally been in this series in years. I mean, there are so many storylines and talented drivers to watch, and it's been great so far. But moving on to the next topic in our Splash and Go, the last thing I wanted to bring up was moving it back to the Cup Series. The fact that we have had back-to-back first-time winners in this series for the third time ever, and the first two times that that happened were the first two years of the sport's existence. So clearly this sport is going places that it's never been before. Obviously, with the first two seasons ever, of course there's going to be back-to-back first-time winners to start those seasons. But when you're marketing as NASCAR in their shoes, when you're marketing this as the so-called best season ever, and it starts out with back-to-back first-time winners, I mean, this is a PR masterpiece by them. I mean, it's it's looking great so far, and uh, I'm really excited to see how this plays out for the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And talk about how this implicates the playoff picture, because you have two first-time winners Christopher Bell, as we mentioned, may have been in the playoffs regardless. Michael McDowell, no one had. I don't care who you are. You did not have him in the playoffs, in your playoff bracket. But the only difference with Christopher Bell being locked in now is that he locked in with a win. I thought he'd maybe get in based off points, and I think a lot of people felt the same way. So I got to think if you're guys like, let's say, Ryan Blaney, William Byron, Eric Amarola, some of those guys who have a hard time winning in the regular season— you got to be stressing because you know guys like Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, they're all going to win races in the regular season. And looking at the five road course events we have in the regular season and the two super speedway races at Daytona and Talladega in the regular season, we very well could see eight different winners. It's not going to happen, but I'm just saying it's a very it's a it's a possibility because the unpredictability as we saw on display at both the oval and the road course at Daytona. So I mean, I got to think a lot of these guys are sweating it. And I mean, we got a taste of it last year. There were some damn good drivers, including seven-time champ Jimmy Johnson, who missed out on the playoffs that had really, really good regular seasons. And I think we're going to see that even more so tenfold, really, this year when you consider how this year has started out and, like you said, the road that is to come. 
With that, I think we should move on to our Homestead preview. Uh, looking back last year, Denny Hamlin really has been the dominant driver at this track for pretty much the last decade, but I think the last race run at this track is really a perfect microcosm of that. Just dominated, won, led 137 laps. Just a classic Denny Hamlin performance at a track that he has always excelled at. I would think that entering this week, especially considering how well he has run to start 2021, it's safe to say that Denny Hamlin is the favorite entering this week, but Cole, just overall thoughts entering this weekend. The first mile and a half track that we're going to see this year, so we're going to learn a lot about these teams as they begin to really settle in for the grind that is the full NASCAR season. Yep, the quote-unquote uh, start of the regular season here yeah. with the our first oval that's not a super speedway. And I think that Homestead's going to be the great a great one to kick us off because as we saw last year, 17 lead changes and this package they're using really enabled these cars to kind of battle for the lead, jockey for position, which was uncharacteristic in years past. You know, we'd see cars get strung out single file, and maybe occasionally here and there you'd make a pass throughout a long green flag run. But I really do believe that this is going to be an exciting race, as we see every year at Homestead. Crazy, crazy restarts. Kyle Larson is back. I think Kyle Larson could be poised for a huge, huge day. He's determined. He had a great car at the Daytona road course, and to be honest, I think he could have very well challenged for the win had he not wrecked, because he was finally got by Kurt Busch for second with, I believe, five laps remaining, and he spun out, drove it too deep, and got into the tire barrier. I mean, so he I, did challenge for the win, really. He I mean, did. He was he right did. there. Yep, so I think that he's hungry, he's determined, going into Homestead, arguably his best track, and I, I think that we're going to see a lot of players here. It's not going to be only Denny Hamlin. Tyler X in the charge from the back, had a rough go at it these first two races, and I think he's going to charge through there, just ride that wall like it's like no tomorrow. And yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I think Christopher Bell's going to have a pretty big day. I think it's going to be a really exciting race. And also, another thing to note is that Goodyear revealed today they're using the same tire combination that they used since 2019. So it's going to make this a very uh, strategic race in terms of tire management, how to race, how to conserve your tires, when to use stickers, when to use scuffs. So it's going to be a very, very exciting race. Yeah, and I like the terms that you put it in. It really is the start of the NASCAR regular season when you consider how many mile-and-a-half tracks there are on the circuit, even despite the fact that there were some taken away this year. With that, let's take it to the bank. Let's give you our predictions for the week. With full transparency, we are recording this before the DraftKings lineups are available, so we're not going to have those on the podcast, but stay tuned to our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We will post our DraftKings lineups there. But with that, let's move on to our winners and our sleepers, and if you're new to this, we each pick one per week. We take turns going. We can't pick the same drivers, and I picked first last week, so Cole, take it away. Yep, I'm going to go with Denny Hamlin. I know I said that there's going to be a lot of players in this race, but just... Given how we saw him dominate the Daytona 500, he had a really good car at the Daytona road course, and I just think that he's just poised for a win here at Homestead. As far as a sleeper goes, I'm going to go with Tyler Reddick. As I mentioned, a really, really great guy at Homestead, just knows how to ride that wall. That dirt racing background really comes into play here for these, these types of drivers, and I think that starting from the rear, essentially, I think he's going to be starting well in the 30s. You have a very good chance to make your money's worth, whether you're doing DraftKings or just making a solo bet on him to win the race. I think he'll be a top five car without a doubt. Yeah, I'm kind of glad you picked Denny Hamlin as your winner because that opens up the door for me to pick Kyle Larson as my winner. I really genuinely believe that it's going to be one of these two guys. And, uh, you know, in terms of a DraftKings lineup, Kyle Larson 
Probably going to start a little bit deeper in the field, so he's probably a, a really good pick there. Now, for my sleeper, this is one that's kind of interesting. It's kind of difficult to pick a sleeper at some of these mile-and-a-half tracks that can be a little bit more cookie-cutter, but I'm going to go with Austin Dillon. He's my oh. sleeper this week. <laughs> the last five Homestead races, and this might be a little bit of a reach, but the last five Homestead races, he's finished in the top 12, and that's going back to 2016, so it's a while back now. But the thing with Austin Dillon is those borderline top 10 sort of finishes have started turning into 7th, 8th, even sometimes top 5 finishes. And I really think that we saw him break through at, at Texas last year, another mile-and-a-half track. And last year, you could really see the chemistry between he and his crew chief, Justin Alexander, blossoming. And I think that that is going to continue this year. We've seen the Chevys in general, both RCR, JT Doherty, uh, as far as the lower-level Chevy teams behind Hendrick, they've been fast this year, and I think that that is a trend that's going to continue heading into these mile-and-a-half tracks. I'm really interested to see how this goes for Austin Dillon, and, you know, it's a track that he's been very consistent at, and I think that consistency combined with the fact that the Chevys have been showing great speed this year, and you look at what he did last year, I think it could be a big day for Austin Dillon, and, and you know, I, I liked your reaction there, because it it's a genuine sleeper pick, and I'm excited to well, see how he does this week. No, 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 I freaked out because that was my backup sleeper pick. I was going to pick Austin Dillon for my backup, or in place of Tyler Reddick, potentially, and I think that's a great, great value pick, because Austin Dillon, in general, is a guy who's flown very, very under the radar the last, I'd say, year and a half, two years. And I think we saw last year, as you mentioned, Texas and beyond that, in the playoffs, that first round, he was incredible. I think he's due for a breakout year. I think he's going to win a race or two here. You know what? I'm going to say he's going to win multiple races this season. I think he's going to win at least two. And I think that he's going to be a force coming into the, maybe going into the second round of the playoffs. Again, he's a guy, talking to him last year, he really worked hard at trying to fix his mile-and-a-half program, and he successfully did that last year. Five top tens at mile-and-a-half tracks. And that all, that's not including the four 11th-place finishers he got at mile-and-a-half tracks. So I would say, by all accounts, a success for Austin Dillon and Justin Alexander. And I think that, yeah, as I mentioned, he's going to be poised for a really competitive 2021 season. And listen, his first few years in the sport, he was going up against some of the all-time greats, and he still is. But the point I'm trying to make here is that those borderline top 10 finishes, they are becoming top fives. And that Texas win last year, that was not a fluke. You can look at the past wins for Austin Dillon at the Daytonas and, and say that those were maybe a little bit lucky just because they were restrictor plate tracks. But, you know, that Texas win last year, again, it was not a fluke. He had to muscle that one out. It got him in the playoffs. And I think that's a sign of things to come as he has continued to mature and get more acclimated with RCR and his new crew chief from last year, Justin Alexander. I'm really confident in what he's going to be able to accomplish this year. And again, part of my confidence lies in the fact that Chevy has really been on the come up as of last year and entering this year. I'm very excited with what I've seen. So again, at the time we're recording this, there's no starting lineup for the race, which means that there's no way we can give you our official DraftKings lineup right now. But again, we gave you a lot of thoughts on some potential winners and sleepers and drivers that we think are going to do well in the race. So do with that information as you will. But that is going to wrap up this week's edition of The Money Stop. We thank you so much for tuning in. And be sure to follow us on our social media accounts at the underscore money stop and also our personal accounts at Steven underscore Cusimano and Cole underscore Cusimano underscore. Now, again, we didn't have our DraftKings lineup, but... Keep an eye out on our social media accounts. We're going to have it up there. And by all means, if you have any questions for us about potential driver picks or, or anything like that, feel free to ask us a question on social media. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Like, subscribe, leave a review, the whole nine yards, and we will see you next week.